Hey, welcome. Week four already of uh, YOLO, you only live once. Really? How's it all gonna end? Last week already, wow. Uh, a few people I wanna thank, and uh, I've, I've got the short list here in my hand. Of course, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, appreciate you so much giving me four weeks to make some contribution to the work here at King Street. Think very highly of you. So pleased you're on this mini sabbatical. Wish for your sake it was a bit longer, but uh, thank you. Uh, of course, Pastor Gary and Pastor Al have been working in the background, just making sure all the arrangements are good. Uh, appreciate them. And uh, the fact that they're seminary students uh, is very meaningful to me as well. Uh, Lauren Elford, uh, each week she's, she's prepped the stuff you're seeing on the screen. So if, it's, so if it has looked good and has helped you, uh, we're, we're thanking Lauren for that. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned uh, our producer, the man behind the camera, Jared Malcolm. Have I mentioned him at all in this series? I don't think so, at least not enough from, from what he tells me. Uh, I, I don't know if you know the amount of work that he puts in and that he put in to create a set like this that makes me feel at home. This has been really important to me. And uh, you don't see the type of setup work and lighting and stuff that he's doing. So uh, thank you. Thanks so much, uh, Jared. And, uh, and I know Jared wanted me to pass along thanks to uh, Kristen, uh, without whose love and support, right? And of course, uh, their, their new dog, Theo. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Theo, but Theo is uh, happening. Theo's great. Great. Hey, and uh, look at uh, thanks. Th thanks to all of you for, for leaning in. I I've just, I've just sensed that you're tracking with me, you're, you're thinking along with me, and you've allowed me to push the parameters beyond what we normally think of when we think of the last days, and that's been the point. Let's make this last one count as well. As we think now about picturing the kingdom, uh, two weeks ago I suggested to you that when it comes to this eschatological period we are in, the eschaton, that there are primary pieces and non-primary ones. Remember that? Primary, not necessarily because they're more important, but they're just widely agreed upon by, by most Christians because they're so obvious in the text. I suggested to you that when you add in the non-primary, the ones that there's some debate about how they should be understood, that when you, when you add these five to you know, these other ones, that there are different pictures you can make of it all. But tonight, finale, uh, picturing the kingdom in five primary pieces. And if you put these five primary pieces together, they form one picture, and that's the picture of the kingdom of God. Okay, I know you love the charts. Many of you have been writing in a uh, final chart of this series. Here we go. Now, look at this. It's, it's not as sharp as it might be, and that's by design. You, you, you recognize this now. History has a beginning. It has a definite end, which points in a different direction. Uh, what we now understand of the world will be radically transformed, and so, you know, hard ending, right? 
boom, and then the kingdom of God. Okay, now we've added in kingdom of God and kingdom of this world because that's what we're, we're looking at. This, this continues on while this is breaking in. Um, when Jesus wants to describe the eschaton, his primary way of conveying it was with kingdom language. After all, he is the king. And, but you'll notice the, the out of focus, which is to suggest that there is some transition going on. Even though we can see this world, it is starting to fade away. And even though we can see the kingdom coming in, it's not yet crystal clear. So this is what we want to look at now. So how do we describe this kingdom of God with these five primary pieces? Let me show you the five. Uh, I think you'll remember these. Okay, so first coming of the king, second coming of the king. When we picture the kingdom of God, we picture Jesus centrally, for he is the one that is bringing the kingdom of God to replace the kingdom of this earth. When we look at the resurrection, we will see that entry into the kingdom is in a different type of body because it's a different type of existence. Thank the Lord. Uh, judgment, if this is going to be the kingdom of God and not just a replay of the kingdom of this world, uh, some things need to be straightened out, yes? Justice must be done, yes? And then uh, our, our way of, of picturing this in light of the book of Revelation, think about the kingdom of God as, as heaven descending uh, and new earth, new heaven, and God in the midst of her. Uh, we'll, we'll finish with that today. Okay. So when we think of the kingdom of God, we think about the fact that it has already come. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Uh, right at the beginning of Mark's gospel, he tells us that Jesus' message could be typified in this way. Let's take a look at Mark 1. Jesus came saying, the time has come. The bell has rung. It started. The kingdom of God has come near. In other words, it's no longer far away. It's there among us. Repent, okay? And because the kingdom has come, time to do something. Time to get into the kingdom that is coming rather than being part of the world that is fading away. Repent and believe this good news. So when we, when we think about the, the kingdom, we think of it has already in some way has started to come. Uh, that's why this is all the last days because the last days is when the kingdom of God starts to appear. Good? Okay, so the kingdom has come. Now, in, in, in many of Jesus' parables, he uses the term kingdom of God. Uh, let, let me uh, read with you a few that are very familiar to make another point about the kingdom. Uh, because Jesus has come, it's not only come, but it's starting to grow already. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden, it grew and became a tree. Hey, it became so large, this little seed, that birds could perch in its branches. Okay, next one. 
Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like uh, yeast that a woman took and mixed into about uh, 60 pounds of flour. Now, that's a lot of potential baking. About 60 pounds of flour until this little bit of yeast had worked all through the dough. Jesus said, not only has the kingdom come, but it's starting to grow. And folks, he said that 2,000 years ago. This is a really important text for us because it is emphasizing one of my primary emphases of this mini uh, series. That when we think about the last days, we should think of it as something positive because the kingdom is growing like a seed that grows and like yeast that expands. I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody for the past, but I did grow up thinking that the last days were simply frightening and the goal was to survive it. <laughs> like get behind the hedge of protection and just hope that, you know, right? This text tells us that uh, the kingdom hasn't come yet, but it's growing. In other words, the last days are when something is getting good. Uh, I forget whether it was week one, might have been week two, where we brought in the idea of, of growth and expansion and hope in relationship to the fact that in the last days, God has poured out his spirit. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In other words, the last days are days when the Spirit of God is doing something. And so for us, the Spirit is the way that we understand the growth because the Spirit is working in us. I hope you see where I'm going with this. Because it's the last days, we should be filled with courage and ambition and vision. Dr. Van, you just told me you grew up with, this, with these ideas of fear. Yeah, I did. And, and it... And there were two words that described it, uh, antichrist and they. Look, uh, I, I, don't, I don't speculate about the antichrist. It could be a woman, yes. I don't know whether that's some consolation or greater fear, I don't know. But I'm not concerned about the Antichrist. Look, with all due respect to the Antichrist, uh, I'm with Christ. And in terms of this they, uh, boy, even sometimes Christians get frightened and they imagine conspiracies. Well, well, Dr. Van, you know they are trying to destroy the church. Look what the government is doing right now. They are attacking the church. Well, hey, Jared, are we still in uh, King Street Church? Yeah. yeah you know, we're, we're still sort of here. The church has been under attack for 2,000 years. I'm not too worried about they uh, destroying the church. Uh, they have tried, you know, Roman emperors did in the early years, but the kingdom of God is breaking in, folks. I'm not so worried about the, the kingdom breaking out, but Dr. Van, they are doing weird things and we've got to be ready for it. Did you know that they are getting ready to put microchips in us 
so that they can track us. Now, this, this has been revived with this COVID thing. Have you heard this? Uh, Dr. Van, um, they are, I'm not taking the vaccine, Dr. Van, because they want to control us. Oh, I thought, I thought it was a medical thing, but no. They want to control us. They are putting vaccines in us so they, they can track us. Okay, well, first of all, who are they? Boy, that's very sophisticated. They've been able to plant all these microchips in all these different vaccines that are being manufactured in different labs around the world. That, okay, that's pretty big. That's a big they. And then, and then how do we understand it? So do you need the second vaccine to complete the microchip? Do you get a micro the first time and a chip? Like, and, and is there a better vaccine for better better? microchips and all of a sudden your brain starts to, hey folks. Okay, enough of this they. Who do we care about other than Jesus and the kingdom of God? And if there is a they, do they even know that they are a they? Why they should be, they should be concerned about us. So instead of when we look around and see something happening, we shouldn't say, oh, they have started it. The kingdom of God is what is growing, right? This is the opportunity for us at this period in history to jump into something that has a future. Invest in the future and please, friend, don't be paralyzed by fear, wondering when they are going to control you. Do you have Jesus inside of you? The kingdom is growing. And we are a part of a growth movement. Hey, that's all because Jesus came the first time. Okay, good. Secondly, when we picture the kingdom, we imagine its completion because the king is returning. So now we come to, of course, the second coming, and this is the focal point of our hope. I've made the point a number of times that Christianity is not backward-looking, but forward-leaning, and that's because, uh, and I'm looking right down the aisle out into the lobby here, because Jesus is coming. And we are leaning towards him, not backwards in fear behind our hedge of protection. But we step out knowing that the Lord is with us. Yes, the Lord is with us. And we are leaning towards him. Our hope is in Jesus. It's already growing and we participate in the growth. But our hope is ultimately Jesus. And because of Jesus... Boy, this, this thought just sort of consumed me today as I was thinking about uh, what we're going to do this morning. Because Jesus is coming, I'm, I'm bullish on the future. So let's take a look at this text. Some of you will know this verse from the book of Revelation because of the hallelujah chorus. Okay, hear it again, would you please? The day is coming when he comes, when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will...
Picture the kingdom, folks. Picture the kingdom of God reigning over our lives and earth and heaven as it will be. Now, that's a picture of hope. Good. To participate in this, let's look at the third primary piece, which is uh, the resurrection. Of course, between this and this, Jesus was resurrected. And so this idea is uh, central for our future because we follow Jesus. As he was uh, resurrected from his earthly form into, into another form that would allow him to continue to exist in this, in this form that would be appropriate to life in this new kingdom. Interesting thought, right? So will be the case for us too. As he was resurrected out of this world into the next, so we will be as well. Let me come with you again to 1 Thessalonians 4 which speaks about the return of Jesus. Uh, by the way, the background to this little uh, text that many of us are very familiar with is that the Thessalonian Christians were concerned that some of them were, some in the community were beginning to die and Jesus hadn't returned yet. Boy, no generation believed in the soon, I mean really soon return of Jesus, like the first one. And Paul is trying to assure them in this pastoral letter of 1 Thessalonians 4, that the dead won't be left behind when Jesus comes. The left behind issue for Paul was not the living, <laughs> it was the dead. Boy, we sort of changed the emphasis, haven't we? For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And Paul says, hey, don't worry, because not only will the dead not be left behind, they'll be raised first, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, we won't be left behind either. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and from then on, we will be inseparable. And so will we be with the Lord forever. For the, for the dead, we talk of resurrection. When we think of the living who are alive when Jesus returns, uh, we often talk about it being a transfiguration. Either way, we're making the same point, and it's a very biblical one and an important one. We, we started with uh, looking at Genesis and the creation uh, story. Remember how humanity was created with, with dirt, stuff, and the breath of God. Please note then that when we are, when we are recreated, we are not just now breath and soul. That's not Christian. We don't believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe that as we were once created with stuff and breath that animates it, so that to live in this new kingdom, we will be stuff again, but different stuff. 
perfect stuff. Stuff without a termination date. And the Spirit of God will once again bring life to our bodies, resurrection hope. <laughs> this is a new world we're, we're moving towards. And so we'll need new bodies to live in it. And so will we be with the uh, Lord forever. Good. Fourth piece. Right. 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 The, uh, the cry for justice in our day and age is loud and sustained. And so it should be. Whether voices uh, calling out on YouTube or uh, written on placards and held high, people continue to call for justice as they should. In fact, our sense that justice should prevail is a remnant of the fact that we are created in the image of God. God wants justice too. In fact, he's the only one that can bring it. And so as we cry for it, be aware that though we don't always see it here, our great hope is that we are picturing a kingdom where things are dealt with properly and people get what they deserve. That's what we're calling for, yes. Every time we see justice here, it's never complete. We know that. But it's a sign of what the future holds. Folks, when you hear about justice, look forward. Don't, don't get too caught up in thinking about all the injustices of the past. Uh, God remembers. Look forward. Let me, read, let me read a very important text to you. Uh, some of you may know, some of you may know that uh, we are working on, as a fellowship, how we express what's most important to us, uh, our, our statement of essential truths. I've been working on that committee. And we decided to use this text as a way of describing the future as a future filled with justice. It's a, it's a stunning passage, though, I'll tell you right now, because uh, it appears in the last book of the Old Testament but the, it's sobering because the Lord is saying, well, I'm coming, but will you be ready? <laughs> Malachi is, uh, is speaking now. You have, to the people who are crying for justice, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying... All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. There's no justice. The evil are getting away with murder. Lock them up. Or, where is the God of justice? Now, here's the voice of the Lord through Malachi. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly... The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. God's response to our cry for justice is it's coming 
Now, will you be ready when it comes? Of course, we love to cry for justice when it concerns somebody else, <laughs> right? Oh, Lord, Lord, like deal, like deal with that person. Lord, that's not right. But, Lord, when you look at me. Hey, uh, folks, this is not to instill fear, but, but when we think about justice, it includes all of us. You say, well, Dr. Van, that's not a, a good thought. No, and, and, and biblically speaking, um, you know, you, you can't divide the justice of God from the love of God. You'll see it in my notes. Like, I'm not really following them directly. You know that by now. But, but they come together. Um, God and his love will bring justice. And the justice, of course, is particularly the joy of those who have been dealt with unjustly. Okay, good. And we will all be evaluated, yes. But here's, here's a very important point. It, we, we use the language of salvation all the time. You, you, know, you know where the idea of being saved originates, what it means? Uh, it means that when the wrath of God falls on the day of judgment, we will be saved from it. We will be spared. So judgment is not something I fear in terms of entry into the next world. But I must be mindful that when I call for justice on others, that I must be careful that I am attempting to live in such a way that, right? Uh, justice will come. And the new world, thank God, will be a world of justice. But by the love of God, we have a savior who will be <laughs> not just a hedge, but the one in whom we will find our righteousness. Okay. Okay, last one. Uh, let's go right to the text, Jared, the new heaven and the new earth. Then I saw John sees the future. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So heaven comes down, see. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, we read this earlier in this series, now the dwelling of God is with men. No more separation. No more crying out at night into the darkness. Heaven is now here. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's why I am, that's why I am bullish on the future. 
because the things that we associate with the kingdom of this world that still cause us pain because we are still here, they have an expiration date on them. Okay. The title has been YOLO with a question mark. You only live once. This uh, philosophy contained in the, in the acronym is pervasive in our culture. It's meant to say, this is all you've got. Live your best life like now. Uh, which then leads to, and what you've seen in that little uh, commercial clip, that little thematic video we use, leads to anxiety. Because if this is like, if this is it, standing on a platform on a Sunday morning with Jared producing, I mean, it's pretty good, but come on. Once you start to uh, think that this is all you have, then anxiety is almost inevitable because then you start looking around seeing what other people have. And when you don't see that you have what they have, then the temptation, of course, is to start looking, uh, you know, start looking back, right, and trying to figure out who to blame or what to blame that this is not your best life now. It should be because... Oh my God. So you blame, you know, your parents or your subdivision or, or, or your husband or your wife or, you know, your socioeconomic status, um, the part of the city of Toronto you were raised in. And, and, you, <laughs> and you deal with all this stuff from your past and you're trying, and some are trying to live you know, with, with their head looking back. I mean, how do you live like this? How do you not bump into stuff? How do you see where you're going when you're living with all this stuff from the past that you keep looking at and you're trying to break free because you want to live your best life now, but it's... To be a Christian is to be, like, leaning forward, not back. So if you're doing this, stop it. Hey, look, what's worse, and I don't mean to be critical here, but what's worse is you're so consumed by the past that you just keep, you're, you're so fixed on it that you keep staring at it. And you're, you're trying to, I mean, unless you're doing the Michael Jackson moonwalk, like you're actually trying to go through life like this backwards. Hey, stop it. Like, I, like, yes, I do mean that. By the power of God that gives you a vision for a different future, please, for the sake of the kingdom which is growing, would you stop doing this? And would you please never do this? If Christianity is Christianity, it means that your past has been dealt with by Christ. So stop looking over your shoulder. And I say this with great compassion. Folks, what happened, happened. Go this way. Stop it. Salvation means that that is dealt with. Hey, and whatever's behind you, you have the hedge of protection. Now go forward. From this moment forward, some of you in particular, you just locked into what I said because you're thinking, okay, I'm there. 
your past is dealt with, and the power of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, is going to allow you to move this way. So stop looking over your shoulder. You don't have enough time. And you know why you're not looking back there? Because you only live twice, and there is a different future. Stop obsessing about this one and what you did and didn't get. So what? You only live twice. You'll talk about this in the small groups, what this means. I'm suggesting it means we're moving together forward rather than trying to haul this stuff from our past. Let it go. And then the joy of finding out that you don't have to obsess about getting everything now because it's in front of you. <laughs> There's another life to live for. Let's go. Find your contribution to the growth of the kingdom and jump in. Don't worry about they. They should be worried about us. You only live twice. So uh, live in this life. So the second life will be the kind that we have always dreamed of. Eschatology is something to live. <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's close with this prayer, which is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know if you're with somebody, so you might be self-conscious about reading this out loud, but you might want to read this out loud with me. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 